This is the City of Refuge, Thomaston, Georgia, Sunday morning podcast. The following is a live recorded sermon by Pastor Jeff Deal. The natural sequence here is to consider what comes next. How does it it look ongoing once you have dug into and embraced the Jesus story from the beginning, way back in Genesis, all the way through the 400 plus prophecies in the Old Testament and into the fulfillment of those prophecies in the New Testament and um, understanding that the fulfillment of those prophecies is so enormous that our minds can, there's no way we can grasp it. Because like I said last week, uh, the fulfillment of eight of the 400 would have amounted to odds of one in, in one quadrillion chances that eight of those prophecies would have come to pass in the life of one person. So I think in order to talk about what comes next or the progression is to talk about discipleship. And we talk a lot about that, and I'm not going to bore you with the same old thing. I'm going to bore you with something new. So um, we only have to look at the sequence of the story following the resurrection of Jesus to see how it's supposed to work. And this is the way the Scripture is. This is what the Scripture does for us, is that it leaves us without excuse because it gives us our understanding of how it's supposed to work. You have that understanding available to you. I said last week, if you're here and you hear it, you absorb it, then you're accountable for what you know, right? Well, Scripture, if we pay attention to it, if we listen to messages, if we read, if we study, if we research, if we meditate, it's going to give us everything that we need, that we need and then we're accountable for it. We're accountable for what we know. Um, so... In order to take a look uh, at how it starts post-embracing Christ as our Savior, post-believing that He rose from the dead and He's still alive today, I think you just go to the next thing in the story. So let's look at Luke chapter 24. We're still in the gospel here. Haven't even moved over now to the book of Acts, to the beginning of the new church. And we have a very, very significant and powerful situation that develops here that I think opens the door for us to know how to move ahead. And there's, I'm reading here a bunch of verses, so just hang with me and try to picture what's going on here as I read it. Now that same day, what day are we talking about? We're still talking about the same day that Jesus rose from the dead. We're talking about the day of the morning when the ladies went to the tomb and found that his body was not there. Still in the same day. So we haven't moved anywhere from where we were, right? Uh, We're still right here Jesus has been crucified. Jesus has been placed in the tomb. Jesus has risen from the dead. The ladies have gone to the tomb to anoint his body, and they cannot find a body. They have encountered a couple of people who tell them 
he's not here, he's risen from the dead. You're looking in the wrong place. <clears throat> now that same day, two of them, two of who? Two of the people who have been following him, two of the people who've been involved in his ministry, two of the people who are familiar with him, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. <coughs> they were talking with each other about everything that had happened. And as they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them. But they were kept from recognizing him. He asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. And one of them named Cleopas asked him, are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? What things, he asked. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it is the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. Let me pause right there and back up. He says, it's the third day since all this took place, and I was tossing around, what's the significance of him saying that? And it seems like that they are discouraged because time is passing, and they're not seeing anything happening. Has that ever happened for anybody uh, that you've prayed for something, you've looked for something, you've expected something, you've had this anticipation about something, but time is passing... <laughs> I see. I'm at to look this way because I don't want to look at one or two of y'all that are back there shaking your head up and down. Because um, I know you've been, and I've been in it too. Time is passing and you haven't seen it and you're not really seeing it at all or maybe not to the extent that you would like to. And it brings about sometimes some frustration, some discouragement. Well, believe it or not, you're not the first one. It's okay, you got people you can identify with, lots of people. Because, you know, the folks who go into it thinking, well, our Messiah is going to arrive, bam, there it is, that's all there is to it, there's nothing else to look for, he just brings the whole parcel of goods right in on day one, and we're victorious, and we won, and we're good to go. No, that's not how God works. It's never been how God works, it's not how he worked then, it's not how he's working now. Okay, it's all about commitment to the process. It's all about being obedient to this piece, and once he sees your obedience to this piece, he will take you to the next piece. But he's not going to take you to this piece and trust you with it if you haven't proven that he can trust you with this piece. All right, And trust is, a, is something that grows up out of a process of obedience. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning but did not find his body. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they did not see Jesus. He said to them, Here, here's where Jesus responds, and they still don't know that it's him. He said to them, how foolish you are and how slow to believe that all, all that the prophets have spoken. 
Did not the Messiah have to suffer, suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. In other words, he told them the complete Jesus story. And as they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued on as if he were going farther. But they urged him strongly, stay with us, for it is nearly evening. The day is almost over, so he went in to stay with them. And when he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? They got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. There they found the eleven and those with them assembled together and saying, it is true. The Lord has risen and has appeared to Simon. Then the two told what had happened on the way and how Jesus was recognized them recognized by them when he broke the bread. <clears throat> All right. What can we learn from that? If I'm given a, a heading to this, it's going to be companions and conversations. Companions and conversations. These are two guys who know each other and they knew the Lord when he was alive on the earth prior to his crucifixion. They have a commonality because of that. They have familiar stories that they can talk about with each other. And so what they're doing initially is they are discussing the news. That's what they're doing. They're discussing the news. They're talking about the headlines. Has anybody over the past whatever year been involved in conversations about the news? Okay. What, what, what's going on in the news? What has gone on in the news over the past couple of years? We had a pandemic that started early in 2020. It made news headlines, right? Do y'all remember that? It made the headlines. It was in the headlines for a long time. It's still in the headlines sometimes, although now being uh, trumped by some, some other things um, that are going on in the world, such as the war in Ukraine with Russia and things like that. Then in May of 2020, you had a police officer in Minnesota that leaned on the neck, knelt on the neck of an African-American man until he died. Remember that story? Anybody have any conversations along the way about that news? So it was a very tumultuous year, a very tumultuous time. You had... Um, a presidential election in November of that same year. Remember that? Anybody remember those headlines? Anybody involved in any conversations around that? And since that time, of course, there's always political news. There's always headlines related to politics and government. <coughs> 
And all of us in the room, whether you raised your hand or not, because some of you wouldn't raise your hand if I brought a cattle prod back there and stuck it on you. Whether you did or not, you do from time to time engage in conversations about these things, as do I. And I'm not here to say we should never do that. Um, I don't know if it's a good idea that we do that or not. I guess to some extent, everything in moderation, right? It's okay to do that now and again. The question becomes, how much of all of that is dominating our lives, right? Because there's a danger in it. And I'm going to tell you what the danger is a little later on towards the end. There's a danger in it. So you have your conversations, that's part of this, 50% of the equation, and then you have your companions. Your companions are going to be, in this sense, for this talk at least, the people that you are having those conversations with, okay? So the question I want to throw at you this morning is, who are your companions, and what is the nature of your conversations? So, all the things that I just mentioned that have been in the news and a lot of other things are easy to draw us in. It's easy for us to get drawn into conversations about those things. There's interest, which generates um, energy, which causes sometimes happiness, sometimes it causes frustration, sometimes it causes outright anger. It can, it can cover the full range of emotions when you get into conversations about certain topics. And then the companions that you're having those conversations with, let's, let's consider who those people are for a minute. And I want you to make a judgment before you leave here today about whether or not you have any companions that you have regular conversations with that really amount to being bad companions, okay? Really, really, when you have conversations with these companions, if they exist, maybe they don't exist for you, and the conversations always end up making you feel worse instead of better. You have conversations with these companions, and when you finish the conversations, you are frustrated rather than encouraged. Or you are feeling more anger than you did going into the conversation. Or the conversations create confusion rather than clarity. I'm going to offer you one of two suggestions. I'm going to offer you two. You pick one, okay? If you have companions that you share lots of conversation with, and that's the way those conversations go. You got one of two choices starting today. Well, there's three, but I hope you wouldn't choose the third one. One is you can either convince them that your conversations with them are going to change. Okay? Just not going to keep doing that. And I offer you the suggestion this morning, a pastoral suggestion, that you threaten them. Okay? Is this for being recorded? I hope so. Threaten them. Tell them, if you insist 
on us having these kind of conversations over and over and over that are frustrating, really debilitating in so many ways, discouraging, confusing, making me angry, making me feel worse than I did going into the conversation, then I'm going to cut you off. Threaten them. I'm going to shut you down for my own good, for my own peace of mind, for my own fulfillment in life. I'm just not going to do it. That's choice number one. Choice number two comes off, dovetails off of one, which is cut them off. Right? If it's somebody that you just can't fix it, you can't turn that corner, you know you can't, they've proven to you that it's not possible, walk away from them. Just walk away. Hey, I'll be your friend. You're not going to be without a friend if you walk away from that friend because that friend is not really a friend to you anyway because friends don't do damage to friends. Friends don't create consistent discouragement, frustration, confusion, anger, fear in their friends. That's not the nature of friendship. Okay? And the third I said, which I hope you don't choose, is just to keep doing it. And let the chips fall where they work, where they will. Who are your companions? And what are your conversations? <laughs> well, this story... Y'all might hear this again next week because especially the young people that are not here today, they need to hear this stuff. Um, this story shows us, teaches us in a really profound way about the power of companionship and the power of conversations. Here are four things that are going to happen if you talk about the Lord. I'd, I'd love to do a survey just, just for each person to evaluate their own life and, and to declare, whether it's written down or verbally or whatever, I spent this much time in the past seven days talking to the Lord and talking about the Lord. Here's what I can assure you, you'll find. The nature of how productive and solid and contented and peaceful and fulfilling your life is, is going to be directly connected to the results of that survey. How much time did I spend talking to the Lord and about the Lord. Because here are the results if you talk about Him. He will show up. Let's look at verse 15 again. We're going to bounce back and forth here a little bit. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus Himself came up and walked along with them. If you spend your time considering him, talking about him, talking to him through prayer, he's going to show up. 
Like as not, when he first shows up, you won't even know he's there. The nature of the way God works in our lives, if I were going to throw a percentage out, I would say 90% of the time, you don't know he's there and you don't know he's working. But he is. And what, you say, well, how in the world can I know it if I don't know he's there and I don't know he's working? Because what you do is as you, as you continue on your journey, considering him, talking to him through prayer, talking about him with whoever will listen, or even in your car when there's nobody there but you, just talking about him, okay, if you do that, periodically you're going to get to a point and you're going to stop and you're going to do a quick self-evaluation or you're just going to realize it. You're going to say, hold on a minute. Something has changed in me. There's a difference in the way I'm thinking than I used to think. There's a difference in the way I'm communicating from what I used to communicate. There's a difference in my attitude from what it used to be. There's a difference in how I'm treating other people from the way I used to treat them. And you're going to realize at that point that because of your consistent communication with him and about him, he has shown up and you didn't know it, and he's doing a work in you from the inside out that you didn't even know was happening. What do you call that? You call that transformation. You call that transformation as a result of discipleship. He will show up. It's a guarantee. He's going to show up and he's going to start working. I've told this, I've used this many times. You've probably heard me say it before, but in the book, The Pilgrim's Progress, when the pilgrim is being uh, hosted by his guide and they're walking and they come to a wall and there's a cutout in the wall that looks like a fireplace and there's a fire burning inside of there, a nice, beautiful, warm fire. But there's a man who has a bucket and he's continually walking over to a well and dipping water and bringing it, back, uh, bringing it back over and pouring it on the fire. And he keeps going back and forth with buckets of water, but the fire not only never goes out, but it burns brighter and hotter every time he pours water on it. And the pilgrim says, well, how can this be? I don't understand. Fire is put out by water. What's going on? And he says, well, what you don't see is what's going on behind the wall. And he takes him around behind the wall and he looks and there's another man with a bucket who continually walks to a, a barrel of oil that never runs dry and dipping buckets full of oil and bringing it and putting it on the fire from the back. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. Always behind the scenes, always doing a work even when we don't realize he's doing it. Always keeping the fire going as long as we submit ourselves to his work and his will and his purpose for us. He's never going to allow the enemy's tactic to, to extinguish that. He's always doing a good work in us and most of the time we don't know it. The second thing that will happen if we talk about him is he will stir our spiritual imagination. Man, let's look at verses 25 to 27. <clears throat> he said to them, 
How foolish you are and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And the beginning and beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what he had said, what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. Now, the first couple of times I read the start of that, of verse 25, where he says, how foolish you are and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. I thought, well, boy, he just, he just cracked down on them. You know, he just insulted them. How could he really even expect for them to, to grasp and understand all of this? Nobody else did. I mean, all through the process of him being accused and taken to trial and convicted and sentenced to death and crucified, how many people are in there going, hold, hold on, no, wait, look back to these prophecies. Look at, look at what it says in Psalms. Look at what it says in Deuteronomy. Look what Isaiah said. Nobody's doing that. So how can he look at, the, that, at these guys and say, well, you're foolish and you're, you're slow. You're learning disabled that you haven't gotten this already. Now, I don't think that's what he meant. I think what he's saying is, look, let's start to put all this together. You're foolish in drawing a conclusion before you have enough information. So let's get you the information that you need, and then I don't believe you'll have any choice but to accept, to embrace, and to believe what has happened because you'll understand the completeness of the Jesus story. And then he goes back and deals with what Moses and the prophets said and the prophecies and the explanations. And he challenges them and he motivates them and he pushes them toward learning, toward thinking, toward consideration. He says, look, the Messiah had to suffer these things before he could enter his glory. It's clear. Let me walk you through it. And he challenges their spiritual imagination. I'll tell you today that there's little that you'll ever consider that is as powerful as your spiritual imagination. God is not going to get mad at you. God is not going to condemn you because your imagination runs wild concerning his ways. You know how often we could end up being wrong in our thinking about anything, including the ways and the words of God? A lot. <laughs> he knows that. He knows that we're flawed. He knows we're not perfect. He knows our understanding is limited. He knows our, our wisdom has a ceiling. Right? Our knowledge has a ceiling. He knows that. But I believe God loves it when we let the imagination run wild concerning His ways. And you know what? You will land on a lot of truth here and there when you allow that to happen. You're going to discover truth in the process of letting your imagination do what it's created to do. Number three, here's what else will happen if you talk about him as you walk along through life with your companions, he will give you revelation. <coughs> Anybody ever wanted that? I want God to show me something. I really want God to show me something. I want him to 
reveal something to me. I want him to make something clear. I want him to bring an answer. I want me to show I want him to show me a bit of his heart. Uh, you know, the scripture says his ways are not our ways, his thoughts are not our thoughts, but I want to know a little bit more about how his thoughts and his ways are than I used to. Nothing wrong with that. And he will do that. He will give you revelation. Verses 30 and 31 say, when he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it and began to give it to them. And then their eyes were opened and they recognized him and he disappeared from their sight. Look, we know the Jesus story. Nobody in the room, I don't think this is your first time ever walking into a church building. You've heard about it. You know about it. You're somewhat familiar with the scripture. And there are things there that happen, things there that are said, that as we commit ourselves to having conversations about him, conversations with him, he's going to open up. He's going to remind us. He told us when he promised Holy Spirit, he said one of the most important things the Holy Spirit will do is to remind you of all the cool things I said. And that's going to happen. He's going to bring revelation to you. <clears throat> Why is it that they recognized him finally? Because he, he did something he had always done. He took bread. He broke it. He gave thanks. And he fed them. Haven't we seen that before? Isn't this what Jesus does? Isn't this his method? Several times in the Gospels, we see him doing this, using the same pattern. And their eyes were open because they recognized the ways of God. See, this is how revelation comes. It's when we begin to recognize the work of God in our lives. Number four, he will inspire you toward your mission. Verses 33 to 35. They got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. There they found the eleven and those with them assembled together and saying, It is true, the Lord has risen and has appeared to Simon. Then the two told what had happened on the way and how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke the bread. So here we say that the Lord is, see that the Lord is working not only with them in their environment, but with others in their environment and how that he is putting the puzzle pieces together for them, and he is inspiring them now to go, to talk, to give it away, to develop new relationships, have new companions. All of us have a mission. Listen, uh, you know, from the oldest person in the room to the youngest person in the room, you have a mission. You can have lived up to this point in time and been a horrible human being. Fine. You have a mission. You may be a liar and a thief. You have a mission. You may be an addict, an adulterer. You have a mission. Okay, everybody has a mission. Look, you can't, you can't tell me it's too late. I'm sorry, you can't tell me it's too late. Paul Scott works for us at City of Refuge. He's, he works custodial right now, but let me tell you something. Paul is on a pathway to being a leader, especially among men. Here's Paul's stories from California. 17 years old, he and a couple of buddies 
go to a convenience store. His buddy goes in with a gun, robs a convenience store, comes back out. They're caught, they're arrested, and all three are sentenced to various terms in prison. And Paul's sentence was 30 years. 17 years old, he's looking at 30 years in prison. Okay? He goes into prison, he's just a kid. He didn't have a gun, he didn't hurt anybody. He was just there. And in prison, he's got to be a tough guy. He's got to survive. So he gets into all that kind of lifestyle. But at some point during his tenure in prison, in a chapel service, Paul is inspired and moved by the completeness of the Jesus story and decides to give that a shot. Okay, And after 25 years, I think, in prison, he finally came out. Paul went through our Tyro program, which is our reentry program for men, and came to City of Refuge when he got out of prison, and he started to volunteer, and he started to go back in, got certified as a Tyro instructor, started to go back in the prisons with Greg Washington, who's another story, and to teach men who were in their last 12 months of incarceration how to behave, how to survive, how to thrive, how to be productive as husbands, fathers, uh, employees, um, members of their community when they're released. He brings them out when they're released, brings them to the Workforce Innovation Hub where they're allowed to enroll in one of the vocational training programs. So now he's working to create transformation in the lives of other men. It's not too late. How many guys catch a long prison sentence like that, go in, they spend a couple decades or more? You know, our longest tenured prisoner who's come out and come to City of Refuge is 33 years. You know what that guy's doing now? He's working a job. He's married. He's in relationship with his children. He's attending church. He's paying his taxes. He's a productive member of his community. And he's coming and volunteering and working with other men who are in the same situation he used to be in. It is not too late. You have a mission. You have a mission. The sooner you get a hold of that truth, start to give yourself away to it, the better off you'll be. You have a mission. Everybody in the room has a mission. Everybody who's not in the room has a mission. The more you talk to him and the more you talk about him, the more he will inspire you toward your mission. The more he will equip you, facilitate you, connect you with the right people to realize what that mission is and how to walk in obedience to it. <coughs> Wednesday night, our, uh, some of the guys were here. We were doing Bible study down here, and we were talking about different stuff, one of which was being fathers. And I mentioned that a good place to look in terms of raising kids, being members of families, is to consider what is it we're talking about. And, and it connects perfectly with the subject today. What is it that we're talking about? We still talking about the news? What, what was the conversation on the way to church this morning? Anybody want a microphone? What, 
What was the conversation on the way to worship God, to hear from His Word? What, what were our conversations over the weekend? What's our conversation been since last Sunday, Easter Sunday? I know, you know, we set aside these special days where we focus on that stuff and we talk about it, but what's the conversation since then? Has it been to the Lord? Has it been about the Lord? Has it been part of it at all? We can't expect much if we're not willing to invest much. What are we talking about? I want to put Deuteronomy chapter 11, verses 18 to 21 up. Fix these words of mine in your hearts and minds. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Teach them to your children. Talking about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road and when you lie down and when you get up. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates so that your days and the days of your children may be many and the land the Lord swore to give your ancestors as many as the days that the heavens are above the earth. Man, what powerful instruction. Take these truths, take these words and have conversations about them. I like where he talks about writing them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. I know I think Jonathan and Ashley had some of us write scriptures to go on the studs inside the walls of their houses. That's awesome. We do that at City of Refuge when we're doing new construction. I know a lot of people who do that. But listen, if we leave those scriptures behind some sheetrock, we can believe that they might emanate some some power over our home some influence over our kids that that those words might have some impact just because they're there in the house somewhere and God can do that but let me tell you what's more powerful than that if we not only have those words written on the studs inside our walls but that when we're sitting at the dinner table, we're talking about those same words. Wouldn't you agree? That when we're out doing yard work, we're talking about those same words, those same verses, those same truths, those same principles, that when we're riding up and down the road, that that's what we're spending at least some of our time. Now, I'm not, you know, I'm not an idealist. I, I know there are other things we're going to talk about, of course. I'm not even saying that any of us are going to get to the point that it should be the majority of what we're talking about. But by golly, it ought to be part of it, shouldn't it? I mean, we're calling ourselves the children of God. We're calling ourselves followers of Christ. If we never talk about Him, if we never consider His ways, if we never give attention to His words, what do we expect? He's not going to do anything. He's not going to do any of these four things. He's not going to show up. He's not going to stir our imagination. He's not going to bring revelation. He's not going to inspire us toward our mission. Why? Because we've got to invest. We've got to want it. We've got to participate in the plan. Blessing and cursing. Look, he goes on to talk about yeah, we got one more, two more verses, three more verses, verses 26 to 28. See, I'm setting before you today a blessing and a curse. 
the blessing if you obey the commands of the Lord your God that I'm giving you today, the curse if you disobey the commands of the Lord your God and turn from the way that I command you today by following other gods which you have not known. What does that mean? Well, I told you at the beginning that I was going to tell you what the result is if we choose to just focus on the stuff of the world, the news headlines, the, the hot topics of the day. You know, what are those hot topics? Just to review for a minute so we'll know where we are, right? Politics. Pandemic. Race relations. LGBTQ. Transgender sexuality. These are some of the most hot, the hottest topics of the day, right? These are the things that people are talking about. When people go back to the polls for the November midterm elections, they're going to vote based in large part on the things that I just mentioned. The border crisis, right? Immigration. These are the things. These are the hot topics. Should we be aware, I suppose? Should we be educated at some level about these things, I suppose? But what happens if these become our life? Well, two things happen. One is you demonstrate fully that you don't trust God. Sorry, just, I'm, I, I just I've made a commitment a long time ago to tell the truth, so that's all I'm doing. If you get absorbed in those things and they dominate your life and they create worry and confusion and fear and all those things, you don't trust God, period. I got a relative that's about to drive me out of my mind, sending me all the conspiracy theory stuff, all the, you know, yesterday it was uh, um, something to do with the, the president said there's going to be a food shortage so immediately, food plants all over America started blowing up. Well, I Googled a couple of the stories that he, that he was talking about. One was uh, in Georgia, where a small plane crashed. And, and the way he presented it to me was, a plane crashed into a General Mills production facility in Georgia. So I looked up the story. The plane crashed in a parking lot 300 yards from the plant where they park empty containers. That don't sound like a conspiracy to wipe out all our food to me. Another one was a young lady who flies on contract for UPS somewhere out in the Midwest who because of some fog... She landed, but then skidded into a building as some sort of a potato plant, I think. She clipped the building with one wing and flipped her airplane over, did virtually no damage to anything in terms of operations of the building, but it killed her. And he's using those two stories to say that now the government has conspired to wipe out our food because the president said there's going to be a food shortage. I got to move on because even as I'm talking about that, my neck is tightening up. 
right? And that's what happens to us, doesn't it? We get absorbed in all this stuff and we just get, it's like we get nervous and we, we don't feel good. I'm telling you, I don't feel good after I get in those conversations. So, it becomes a curse. You see it? That's the result. I'm setting before you today a blessing and a curse. This is not a separate topic. We're still in Deuteronomy chapter 11. This is right after he said, talk about me, my ways, my words, when you're going out, when you're coming in, when you're sitting down, when you're standing up, when you're going to work, when you're at the table. Talk about me and my ways, and you will realize a blessing in your life and talk about all this other garbage all the time, and it's going to become a curse. <clears throat> it says the blessing if you obey the commands of the Lord your God that I'm giving you today the curse if you disobey in other words if you don't do what I've instructed you to do and turn from the way by following other gods we never wanted to consider that did we that these things become idols gods in our lives look anything that you exalt above your consideration for him becomes a god over him right what's commandment number one you shall have no other gods before me and none of us would say we do, but sometimes we live like we do. This is the pathway, y'all. This is how to really begin to walk it out the way it's supposed to be walked out. Choosing other people as for our friends and companions who are like-minded and want to walk this journey together in the same mindset. It's almost too good to quit, but I have to. So, when you leave here today, don't leave this in here. This, 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 can, this can powerfully affect your victory, your peace, your freedom, your productivity, and your kingdom walk if you will consider these things. So my challenge to you is to tomorrow sit down with it. Go to... Luke chapter 24. Read the story of the guys walking to Emmaus. Consider it. Meditate on it. Go to Deuteronomy chapter 11. And here's what's going to happen. Guaranteed. You'll come back and tell me about it if you'll do it. He's going to teach you something out of it even more than what I've talked about today. He's going to deal with you personally. In other words, he's going to show up just like he did with them. He's going to challenge your heart. It's going to inspire you toward your mission. It's going to bring about a little bit of transformation. He's going to give you a little bit of revelation. And look, that deepens and grows as you continue to walk it out day by day. Father, your word is powerful. It's good. It's touched us today, and we're thankful for it. Pray your blessings over your people, blessings of peace, blessings of power, blessings of provision, blessings of protection. I pray that you would... 
cause your Holy Spirit to be just so real in our lives this week as we choose to do these things, to be obedient to your words. We pray for those that are traveling back from Statesboro right now, that you'd give them traveling mercies, and we look forward to all being back together next week. We love you. We give you thanks. In your name we pray. Amen.